Welcome to Six Pack Discussions, where Cody and Jared take on the biggest, most talked about headlines with logic, passion, and a six pack of beer. If you're listening, we challenge you to take an unbiased view of the world, as we know these conversations are complicated. So sit down, crack a beer, and welcome a new perspective. Okay, Jared Jones, we are live today, buddy. Six Pack Discussions, we are drinking Shinerbach from texas unfortunately um one of us here not me uh forgot that we've actually had this before yep not even that long ago i would say probably within the last two months i picked this up uh because i remember trying to say spotzel brewery uh out of it was not two months ago first of china texas no way in hell okay within the last three months i know we had it within the last 12 (laughs) uh we talked about it in uh Kind of honestly, length I thought, uh, but not length enough for Jared to remember. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about today, man? Dude, <laughs> unions—how they work? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they indifferent to the American economy? Unions. Um, what was your general take when you saw this on the list and, and <clears throat> during your research? Did you know much about unions? Um. <laughs> A, a, much about them? I would say no. Um, so here's where I'm at is I don't really know if there's a political line here or or not. That That's one thing I find really interesting about this is I don't feel like this is a Democrat Republican issue. Would you? Um, I, I think in general, Democrats uh, normally like unions uh, but would you say a majority of the workers yeah. in union tend to be Republican, right? So that's why I would go against it. Mm, kind of. So the largest union is teachers. Teachers, I would say probably in general, 70 to 80% are Democrats. And then I think you're thinking more of the trade unions. Yes. More physical hard labor are probably going to vote more Republican. Yep. Uh, uh, first responders, like your firemen. Yep, firemen, yep. Uh, police officers. Yep. Now, it's always been difficult, though, because in big cities, those groups will actually vote normally Democrats because the Democrats normally are the ones that will provide better union um, kind of laws. So like New York City, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., the police officers and fire department, we're kind of in a different kind of state because we really don't have a strong union state here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So we get a little bit of a... I think mixed taste of unions here. Okay, so so are are you saying like I'm I'm wrong? You would say no. this is a, a political issue, maybe. I I was just saying because of the split, you know, between no. you got your teachers, but then you do have your firemen. I think, I think unions in general do fight in the pol- politics arena. Okay. So when I say unions, I don't mean the workers that that pay union dues. I mean the union bosses, the union organizations, got the it. United Auto Workers which I think the the president, his name is Gary. Uh, I forget his name, Gary something. His organization, which probably, let, let's say it has maybe 50 to 100 employees, which is the United Auto Workers you know, Union. Those guys are very politically driven. That's yep. where I was trying to get to. So the- Understood. The, 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 I, I think maybe I just didn't clarify. Yeah, that, yeah, no worries, yep. worries. So first and foremost, let's actually try to- Define a union. Yeah, please. Right. Okay. So the definition of a labor union is an organized association of workers, often in a trade or profession, formed to protect and further their rights and interests. Right. So you know what's you know one thing that's really funny is I I'm not gonna say these are, are, are low income jobs by any stretch of imagination. 
in lo- in uh, in unions? No. Especially just because of the that's kind of what unions are there, right? Yeah. But I don't think you think of millionaires, right? No, no. I think blue collar to no, dude. Honestly, the biggest the biggest unions are municipal based. You know, public uh, unions, uh, teachers, uh, um, garbage men. Uh, you know, things like that. So like airline pilots, dude, the dude. NFL players association. <sighs> Those are millionaires, bro. Isn't that funny? MLB. So, so whenever you're thinking like, you know, your firemen making damn good wages, right? Police officers making good money too. Police officers. Yeah. Heck, teachers. Let's, let's go back a few episodes, right? It's funny because it's just funny to think of multi, multi, multi-millionaires and, and firemen all kind of representing unions. Kind of interesting, huh? Oh, because... Just this year spectrum of, of earnings. Oh, yeah. 100%. Because I, I just don't feel like people understand that the NFL Players Association, because they never really call themselves a union, is a union. Yeah, anything with collective bargaining, which we're going to get to in a little bit. Yeah. It ranges, and I even saw Milton Friedman. I was watching a video with him talking about uh, unions. He actually expanded unions to not only the the groups that consider themselves unions, but also certain associations that have dues such as the Doctor Medical Association. So the American Medical Association, which is like, uh, I forget what it's called. But well, all doctors have to pay dues into that for their licensing. Well, actually, I would venture to say all professional licenses have to pay dues, yearly dues. Um, the AIA. I know. I was thinking um, the exact same thing. I was thinking maybe. I'm assuming the bar. Yeah. Those yeah. are almost I, like I bitch about it yearly. Uh, it's actually a part of Britney's compensation package that they pay their dues for yeah. the architects. Yeah. Because it's like 900 bucks a month. Oh, I'm sorry, a month. A year. A year. I mean, that's it's not exactly a rounding year. No, it's significant. And so when I was reading through, and Milton Freeman said that, he's like, guys, um, one of the strongest unions in the entire U.S. is not called a union. But he said, I truly believe they are one of the most powerful unions, which is the Doctors Association. They have um, the ability to have their own supply curve of doctors in America, hmm. which that's what unions do. And we're going to talk about that. Unions essentially uh, create a a monopoly on labor in a select market. A cartel, actually, is the proper terminology, which is a weird word to use, but that's what a, cartar, a, car, a cartel is, is supplying uh, a certain good, in this case, labor, in a specific people. market. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, a lot of people have looked at unions and say, you're, you're kind of like, you operate very similar to how cartels operate, hmm. um, which is kind of cool, right? Kind of, kind of cool. Interesting, thought provoking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so how do they get their start, would you say? Um, so the first ones that I saw were mostly, I think, miners. I was like coal mining. Coal mining. Um, I think just miners in general. Uh, and it was mostly actually protections of health. Yeah. It wasn't wages so much. It was just like, hey, we are in unsafe conditions and we die every other day. So I think a lot of miners went, started going on strike, not showing up for days, and said, hey, we need better pay and we need more uh, control of our workplace environment. So that's actually kind of where I was, I was conflicted because of its roots. I was like, man, I'm good with that because, I mean, there's so many carcinogens that they were inhaling. I mean, it was, oh, yeah. it was poor working conditions to say the least, right? 100%. And now what I see what unions have evolved into is just kind of interesting to see where we came from not too long ago, mind you, to where we are. The first unions that popped up in the 1700s, late 1700s, were a brand new country. 
Um, but really, they became prevalent. Sorry, not prevalent, but they started actually staying, right? They had staying power. They weren't just lasting for like a couple of years um, with those mines that closed down. They had staying power in the late 1800s and early 1900s during the Industrial Revolution in America. Think of automobiles. Think of steel manufacturing. Think of railroad workers. Those were the big big unions that started to unionize. And then FDR, of course, made it easier for, uh, he created unionized uh, laws where people could unionize and not have repercussions uh, to their job from their um, company, right? So you could actually go on strike and not feel like you were going to get fired the next day, Mm -hmm. right? So FDR really expanded that role. Um, And most of all that was done in the private sector, Right, meaning, you know, me, Jared, and Cody, uh, mining operation. We would essentially now have to deal with possibly a strike once in a while, um, you know, and maybe increase our wages by twenty cents a day, whatever it may be. Public sector had never seen any type of unions until very much later because it was actually not allowed under law. Hmm. So there's my background. Right? Did I miss anything there? Nope. No. No. You, you actually expanded a little bit more into the public, but yeah. um, no, I appreciate that. Um couple of things, recent news, like I always like to kind of go over. I don't know if you read through this at all, but um, regarding unions, it looks like uh, we've kind of been going up and down based on our presidents. Um, so Obama was uh, a fairly large advocate for unions. Um, we'll talk about a little bit of that. Um, President Trump was not an advocate so much for unions. He was kind of, I would say, a laissez-faire uh, president on uh, union specifically, there wasn't anything that he did uh, against or for. And then recently, President Biden, he actually is um, very much pro-union. He said multiple times in different speeches that he is looking to create more high-paying union-based jobs. And I think a lot of this you can even see, you know, not only in just his uh, uh, rhetoric, right, meaning his um, his talking points, but even in some of the bills that he's been pushing for. Uh, one of them is the Build Back Better plan that we talked about, yep. infrastructure bill. Uh, he plans on injecting $3 billion into the U.S. auto industry, specifically for zero-emission cars manufactured in the United States. Um, now, here's a funny little fact, though. So when he did that and he was signing that bill into effect um, and also doing a couple of executive actions, Ford, GM, Chrysler, and the United Auto Workers presidents were invited to the White House to speak um, on how this will affect the workers in Detroit, you know, do you, do you notice who was missing? If this was a bill specifically for electric, electric vehicles in America, made in America, which manufacturer was missing? Tesla? Yeah. Yeah. Tesla was not invited. <laughs> they are the largest producer of electric vehicles in the United States. but By a wide margin. Huge. 10,000% difference, right? Do you know why? I'm assuming Elon, but... They're not unionized. Oh, that's how that, 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 that now is that an inference or is that a no kidding without a shadow of a doubt? That's why they weren't invited. Did you not see who was invited? Ford, GM and Chrysler. They're all highly unionized workforces. Right. And the United Auto Workers Union president. We're meeting about electric vehicles. We're accepting <laughs> the $3 billion yeah. to start producing more electric vehicles in the U.S. and how it's going to allow for increased workforces, uh, and better pay, things like that. But the biggest producer of auto workers was, uh, or, or auto vehicles, right, and also some of the best paying jobs in, in America, Tesla, 
was not invited because they're not unionized. So you could see that um, right now uh, the administration, the President Biden's administration, is very pro-union. You can tell right there. Like he said, hey, I don't want you here because even though your workers are good paid, you're producing more cars, you're a bad look for union-based people in America. So kind of one kind of interesting fact. $3 billion. That's a lot of money, huh? Um, Okay. Another thing, uh, recently, Starbucks and Amazon. Did you see this? So I don't remember seeing Starbucks. I do remember seeing Amazon. That was a couple weeks ago. I remember seeing that, correct? Yes. With Amazon. But I don't remember seeing Starbucks. So Amazon, uh, New York City, Staten Island warehouse facility um, has voted in favor of forming a union. So to, to be specific, that specific building will be a unionized facility. And 10 separate cafes, Starbucks cafes, have now been unionized I, over the last couple of years. I see that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's see. Buffalo, New York. Two in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, Seattle, Knoxville, Tennessee, um, and even in New York City. So a couple of them, that's for sure, 10 of them. And so maybe go through the process. You want to go through the process of how a union is maybe even created? So I actually didn't research that piece. Okay. Pretty easy. Takes two people. Okay. Me and you. Okay. We both have to have a similar type of role. We can't be like a supervisor-employee relationship. Okay, so you and I are both sales guys. <clears throat> yeah, that would work. Um, most of the time, it is an hour hourly-based okay. job. So you and I are both um, warehouse workers. Yep, perfect. There we go. Uh, that would be Teamsters. Mm-hmm. So Teamsters is the Warehouse Truckers Association. Pretty big one. <clears throat> They're known for a lot of uh, muscling of people, unfortunately, across the United States, meaning kind of a little bit more aggressive tactics. But me and Jared work at a, a warehouse in downtown Phoenix, um, and we will say, man, we're underpaid, and we're essential to this operations. Well, me and Jared go ahead and say, hey, would you want to unionize? Maybe we can get our three other guys that work in the warehouse to also unionize. We then take that contract that states that we demand better benefits, X amount of you know pay increases over the next five years, and we go start a collective bargaining with the executor at that uh, warehouse, right? The either manager, general manager, the owner, whoever is kind of in charge. And they then have to decide, you know, are, are, are us five, are we worth it? Or do they want to go out into the market and go find replacements? Because it's, it's a almost a, no, it's not almost. It is a one for all, all for one. As soon as me and you agree and those other three people... <laughs> We normally go through some type of what they call a secret ballot initiative. Um, ballot box is set up somewhere in the office. We go ahead and vote yes or no on there. And if I say yes, I'm essentially agreeing that whatever our representative for the union, which maybe let's say we elect myself as the representative, Jared, Tom, Mike, and Sheila, all of us say, hey, Cody, you now will take this contract and you'll be our representative. And you go you negotiate speak on behalf of the four of us. Of all five, yeah, all five of us total. We got five total. In this case, yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, hey, all five of us want this, but we will take this. And then there goes into negotiations there. Um, that's called the collective bargaining. We go both agree and then we're in a contract. And the idea there, from my understanding, is... Uh, once we're in contract, it makes it very hard for us to be fired, for us to have disciplinary actions if it doesn't follow specific guidance within the contract. Did you read anything about that? Dude, it is. So uh, my brother-in-law, he's a firefighter. And he's he's told me stories 
Dude, once you're in a union, it is an act of God to get you fired. Now, of course, you know, it's still in a way with some of them, at least what I've heard, not just from my brother-in-law, but others, like in passing, it's a little bit of the good old boys network, right? Mm-hmm. It's got that feel. And they can force you out. If like you're just a bad actor, they can all but force you out. But in order to get legitimately on record fired, good luck. I mean, you, you can commit a literal crime and your unirep will argue on your behalf and, and get it down. So one of the craziest ones I've read, um, apparently this is fairly common because <laughs> it's, it's multiple times it's happened. There's precedent set now. New York City, school teachers, you have to be caught five times drunk before you are going to be reprimanded with including temp- termination. So five times like wasted teaching st- other students. Not wasted. I don't just just drinking alcohol. Drunk. Yeah, drunk. <clears throat> five times. <laughs> I'm, I'm Cody, not saying one don't do time. that. Second. Ah, uh, hey, it'd be cool if you'd stop. Third. Hey, Amen. Fourth. Dude. Fifth. Okay, now you're in trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, like I get it. Like I, I get the first kind of warning. Second. You get pro- the first warning with a teacher. I'm I'm not saying everyone's perfect. Um, I I get it. I would want zero. But everyone's not perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm cutting a little slack. Maybe Let's one. Go one. Yeah, one warning. Hey, hey don't. I'm do progressive. That. I'll go two. Exactly. I even two. Third warning. There's a reason. There's always three strikes. Exactly. Baseball is America's pastime for a reason. You know. Exactly. Um, did you see how many workers are in unions across the United States? Oh shoot! I bet. I I didn't see. I'm going to say five million. More than that, ten percent of the workforce. So they said one, uh, uh, fourteen million wow. workers uh, represented across about sixty unions. There's sixty big unions. You said ten percent of the workforce. Yeah. <sighs> hmm. Now here's interesting. How much of that is in the public sector versus the private sector? Ooh, I would say I'm gonna go. What's the difference? Sixty-five, thirty-five percent. Yeah, so they don't add up to 100. I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> I don't know where's the missing percentage. Oh, that's weird. 60% I, was in the public sector. Yeah, yeah. I was going to go probably 8 million, 8 million in the public, and then 4 million in the... It says 6% in the private. Private, wow. So I'm missing about 35%, which is weird. I don't know why. Surely 35%. No, that wouldn't make up professional athletes. No. Oh, we're, that's probably where it is. There's not that many professional athletes, though. Uh... I, well, I think if you're like in the MLB, I think the entire. Oh, like the farm system yes. and everything? Yeah. And Surely also, that's not making 35% up though, right? And also operations. I think when you're in like the MLB, I think the entire group other than the management team. So like. Owners? Work, yeah. Basically owners well, are G- excluded. GM probably, right? Okay. But I'm saying like all of your trainers, all of your uh, rehab guys, everything. See, what's interesting. Is, so you may know more about the MLB, but. I may be misspoken here, and I'm going to look like an idiot on a union podcast, but like it is the NFL Players Association. So I don't think trainers and coaches okay. are a part of the Players Association. I don't, I don't know either. I'm, I could be talking right out of my ass, to be honest, on this one. Right. On, on MLB. Okay. I, I was just thinking that's the only way you can get to 35. Where else would 35% I couldn't from? figure it out. Um, but still, yeah. very interesting. So 6% guys in the private sector means that like majority of those are auto workers, iron workers, tradesmen. Miners? Really, yeah. where most of the union workers are 
public sector, which guys, just for elaboration, public sector means that you are government paid. Where are you getting your money from for government paid? Us. Taxpayers. Taxpayers, yeah. So a majority of union workers are actually getting their funds directly from taxpayers. And this is going to get to my most conflicting problem with unions. We'll get to it in a minute. I don't want to talk about it, but. I had a deal. Not I. I have a friend. So there are certain jobs in the military that are unionized. What? Oh, yeah. In the military? What, like where, what job? So are they all, they can't be. Uh, um, so there's sorry. a, oh, shoot, man, you're really asking me to go back. back. So there's, there's different grades of civilians in the military, right? So you do know that obviously civilians yeah. work for the Department of Defense. That's a no-brainer. So there's GS, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember what GS stands for. Ah. There's SES, which is like general equivalent. There's GS, which is kind of like officer equivalent. And there's WG. When I do know WG is wage grade. So this is when my friend, uh, working in kind of like vehicle management, vehicle operations, and had to deal with a lot of wage grade. General schedule. GS is general schedule. Okay, thank you. And then what's SES? I'm curious. S-E-S. Sierra Echo Sierra. Senior executive service? Okay. Yeah. So that's like general equivalent, geo equivalent. So anyways, so my friend, they had to deal with a lot of wage grade employees, bus drivers, vehicle operators, forklift operators, things like that, right? These are non-military personnel. Correct. They're full-blown civilians. Okay. Working in in a government capacity there with the military. So anyways... There was a... Is there a contractor involved in between? I'm sorry for getting... I'm sorry, what? Is there like a contractor? Like, are you hiring uh, Cody Willis's forklift service and I got a... No, I'm hiring Cody Willis and you are a WG6 and you are my forklift operator. So if my civil engineering squadron, hey, Lieutenant Jones, I I need a forklift guy. I got one on Wednesday. I'll send him over there. That's kind of that works. Okay. So anyways, um, this individual, let's just call him Bob. Bob showed up. Bob's sole purpose for adding value to the Department of Defense is a forklift operator. Okay. Bob decides to show up, not just buzzed, wasted to the point, I don't know how the hell he got past the armed guard to get on base. Like just barely even keeping his head up. Yeah. Kudos <laughs> to him for, for being on to do that. <laughs> so clearly can't put him in like vehicle operating. So I'm, I'm sorry. My friend is like a brand new second. And I was like, hey, this is like, I got to write his ass up. Like, this is clearly not tolerated. This is a fireable offense. Like, yeah. you literally screwed me. Like, like operations have to stop for a couple of hours. My friend had a deal with a union rep. The union rep then escalated to not only this brand new little second lieutenant, but then the colonel. Let's just say Bob doesn't even have a letter of reprimand on his record, much less getting terminated. I don't know how the hell you fire a union employee. I've heard it's one of the hardest things to do. And that's one of the ideas. Because it was an isolated incident. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, uh, that's what I've kind of heard in, in the collective bargaining agreement. That's what my friend told me. That's one of the easiest things apparently to, to negotiate. Like, <clears throat> as an employer, you're willing to deal with those instances rather than give a dollar more per hour. Right? You see what the issue is there. Because I, if I have 100 employees... <clears throat> 
$100 an hour more could be very expensive. I have to deal with one of those instances every quarter. So you've been in the in the civilian industry for civilian industry, like the private sector for, for quite some time. Have you ever either A, been approached or B, been a part of a union? No, I actually asked that. And there's a couple of guys that worked that were part of unions back in the day. Older, older guys. <clears throat> My mother has been approached. She's a teacher. Yep. Right. Um, Approach or in one? No, she's not in one. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I just assumed that she was. I don't think so. Because uh, Arizona is right to work. So you have the option. And I think it, like it's like 60, 40. So it's not like it's extremely common in Arizona. Wow. I, I just assumed your mom was. I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. Did you ask her last night? No, no. I, I asked her a while back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she's like, well, no, I, I get an extra, not to pay the dues. Guys, right. Uh, Cody and I just happened to see his mom last night. So yeah. Halloween time. Um, okay, some background real quick. I want to go through some of this background. So we already talked about how many. Have you cracked your second beer, actually? I did. You want to talk about it? Let's Messed do it. up. <clears throat> so let's talk about like it Cody said. <laughs> like Cody said, one of us forgot that we had actually had Shinerbach. The worst of us, too. <laughs> From good old Shiner, Texas. Uh, yeah, guys, this is. <laughs> This is my screw up. Um, I'm going to read it to you again, just in case you didn't see the episode. Small town, small brewery. Every drop of Shiner beer is brewed in Shiner, Texas. Population of 2,069 people. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Uh, by local craftsmen who take pride in our little brewery and our classic Shiner box. Do I have more people in my neighborhood than that? Is that weird to think about? Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. So actually, from last episode, that's viewed as a negative Right to you, because they don't have that many like food chemists and everything from the Blue Moon episode. Oh, <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, this American style Bach has a clean flavor and a slightly sweet finish. We hope you enjoy drinking it just as much as we enjoyed making it. Prost. <clears throat> I think this is a great beer. I think this is, uh, I don't know if Schneiderbach is in uh, uh, American-wide distribution. I would say definitely Southwest distribution, right? Arizona, New Mexico, probably California, Texas, probably Oklahoma. I don't know if they're, you know, in Florida, to be honest. They're probably big. I view this as the Southwest Yingling. Yes, they're like a regional. You know what I mean? How like Northeast people just go crazy over Yingling? Yep. Yep. 100%. I'd probably bet that this is the Southwest Yingling. I think this is better. I dude, I don't understand the cult following behind Yingling personally. It's old. People like old shit, dude. Every time I go to the Northeast for work, oh, have you had the Yingling? Yes, yes, it's great. I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's borderline laughable. Um, you know, this is just from a, a sheer nostalgic standpoint. I'm, I'm sure. Gosh, this is so embarrassing that I, I can't believe I forgot about this. But what are you gonna go with? I think this is three eight all day long. Yeah, I was going to go three, seven, three, eight. So yeah. three, seven, I'll go with. I think it's a great beer. Um, it's not It's not crafty, but it's got some unique taste to it that I like. Like, I'd, I would drink this any night of the week. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is a good drinking beer. You know yeah. what I mean? 100%. I recommend it. If you guys haven't ever had a Shiner Bock and you have access to one, go grab a six-pack, yellow label. For all our Canadian listeners, just... Reach out to us and we'll find a way to get across the border to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Michigan in the next couple of weeks. I'll, I'll get some of my carry on. Grab a couple. Or check back. Um, okay. So it's funny. We've mentioned this. The largest group of union workforce 
is public sector. We've already mentioned teachers multiple times. Mm-hmm. What are the next two largest? I would say it's got to be our first responders. Um, oh, I would say American Nurses Nurses Association. There we go. That's not the next one. Oh, it's not. Oh, wow. Those and nurses are not public either. In most cases. Oh, I'm sorry. You asked for public. I apologize. Yeah. I thought it was just unions as a whole. Police officers. Yep. And firefighters. Yep. So there we go. So those ones are the biggest. I and said first responders, but yeah. yeah. No, no, I got what you meant. Um, those are the biggest ones, and I think those ones. You hear about those union guys often, like police officer unions. Oh, for for a political official, like a local political official to get endorsed, it's a big deal. I mean, you see, I, I'm, I can only assume in other states. I, I, I can't explicitly remember in Colorado or Texas when I was living there, but it's a big deal to get like police endorsed or firemen endorsed what? here. Uh-huh. Big like, deal. It, it, like, let's say Phoenix. Phoenix police officers endorsed. That means that you're going to get 5,000 votes from the police officers pretty much guaranteed and their families. Or right? people that are just pro first responders. Bingo. Bingo. So they have some political power, right? And they know that and they kind of use it a little bit. Um, what? Okay, so here's an interesting thing. Uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, did you see what the uh, median weight weekly earnings difference was between a union and a non-union member was in a similar occupation. So you, let's say you work for I Tesla would, yep. as an auto worker and yep. you work for Ford as an auto worker. I would say the Tesla worker probably makes 10% more. So, Oh, the non-union worker? I'm sorry. The Tesla worker makes, the Ford maker makes 10% more than Tesla worker. It's a little bit That's more than that. Oh, okay. um, it's $186 more per week. So it's $1,169 versus $975. I think it's 70%, 17% or 16% difference. A little off, yeah, okay. Okay. Um, and that's really what they attribute is to their success. They say, hey, union workers make more money. Thus, why you would want to be part of the union, right? You're going to make 17% more. You're also going to receive better benefits. These are some of the major pros, of course, to being part of a union or unionizing, Hard, yeah. right? It's job security out the wazoo, as Cody and I already alluded to. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say some of the cons is it almost like lacks. I'm sorry, do you have any more pros? I got a bunch of pros and I got a bunch of cons. Okay, yeah, Let, let's hear it off. Okay, pros, I just mentioned higher wages. Yep. Um, <laughs> this is a crazy pron, uh, pro, but unions make it easier to advance political causes that working people support. Because those union dues, a lot of those union dues actually go towards specific candidates that are pro-union. So it makes it easier for, you know, unions to essentially have more control with their political uh, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, unions set norms that extend to the rest of the, the economy. I think this is something that we were talking about at the very beginning with miners. We were upset, you know, hey, what, you know what, a lot of people are dying. When the union is formed, they create some new standards. And even non-union individuals <clears throat> receive those benefits. So uh, the the source that I was researching, it coined that term uh, that it was kind of fitting. Unions, <clears throat> excuse me, unions are economic trendsetters. Yeah. And essentially what it was, was, you know, health standards, working weekends, that was kind of brought on by unions. But then other people like the Teslas of the world, well, shit, now I got to compete. So now I can't have working 100%. weekends and, you know, I have to make sure. Yeah. yeah so economic kind of, trendsetters, kind yeah. of funny, huh? Unions kind of almost forced comp- more competition with employee benefits. You could imagine. Weekends, I mean, for like your, 
for all intents and purposes, you could argue that a union is an employee benefit. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A paid employee benefit, I guess. Okay. So here is a, um, this is kind of, we've been talking about benefits a little bit and, and I'm not going to say it's misleading, but it's a little muddy. So one of the pros to being in a unionized workforce is you receive better benefits, meaning health benefits, uh, vision benefits, all those things. Why I say it's muddy or slightly misleading as a pro though, and I even put a little asterisk next to it, is that unions have seemed to focus on large companies that would probably be offering these benefits anyways compared to small mom and pop businesses that are using comparable jobs. So if you can imagine <clears throat> Ford competing with GM and all that, whether they were unionized or not unionized, they're probably going to offer you your weekends off. They're probably going to provide health benefits. But a small mom and pop shop and where you're making maybe small tool and die sets that are to be used in the auto industry, they don't provide a unionized workforce. You're kind of comparing those people that are non-unionized benefits. Well, most mom and pop shops don't offer those type of benefits that Ford or GM would. So it's a little it's a little challenging to say better benefits because you're comparing large large corporations, you know, Fortune 500 companies to sometimes very small, you know, mom and pop type places. So that's one one thing I I thought's a little little kind of muddy. I don't know if you agree there or not. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. Okay. I mean, we, we touched on that in earlier pop episodes as well. It's hard to compare big corporations to smaller ones. It really is. I mean, it's so different than our, our conversation with what we had with, um, was it maternity leave, right? Mm-hmm. That was the episode we were talking about? No different. Very much. Very much. Well, it's a benefit. Maternity leave is a benefit. It, it is, but it, it's certain benefits that only certain employers can really provide. Yes. And did you see a lot of big employers are pulling back on that now? Mm-hmm. How funny is that? I mean, I saw something. It's a little conspiratorial, but um, <laughs> I, I, it makes sense. Anna brought this up. Yeah, my <laughs> wife. So a lot of these big corporations are, um, you know, ever since the Roe versus Wade was overturned, they were kind of offering the ability for you if you want an abortion, they will actually pay for your travel to a state that offers it because not every state now offers it based on your timeline of pregnancy and things. <laughs> For your abortion and uh the consp- conspiracy it's not really a conspiracy it's just like hey corporations would actually prefer you to get an abortion because then you never leave the workforce and you never have to get paid maternity leave so it's actually not even like a it's actually like a corporate strategy if you're a big company would you want to pay somebody 12 months for never showing up to the job no just have the abortion and now you can stay in the workforce so it's kind of actually i was like oh that's that's kind of a little deep for those big companies to be doing that kind of stuff. Very short term thinking. We're, we're getting really off topic here, but sorry. Did, did you, did you hear the Bill Burr, you know, the comedian Bill Burr? So great. His abortion joke. With the cake. Joke? With yeah. the cake? Uh-huh. Oh my God. <laughs> Repeat it real quick. A little bit of it. Do you remember it or no? Oh, I, I vividly remember it. I guess. <laughs> so his analogy was, Let's say you're baking a cake uh-huh. and, and you put it in the pan and you put it in the oven. Five minutes. It's, it needs to be at 375 for 50 minutes. And I walk over. You, you pull it out in five minutes and you throw it across the room. Hey, you ruined my cake. And then you would say. No, it's not a cake. It's a bunch of ingredients. Well, 
it would have been. <laughs> You're not just done what the fuck you just did. No one's going to say, oh, you just ruined my yeast, my flour, my sugar, my salt, and all of that. You would say you ruined my cake. <laughs> Clearly, Bill Bird delivered <laughs> better. Yeah, our teamwork on that sucked, but whatever. Damn it. That was it's unrehearsed. Yeah. But, man, that was funny. Okay, some cons. I felt, I felt oh, my God. Get back on topic here. Yeah, yeah. Some cons to unions. <laughs> Unions do benefit their members, of course. We've already talked about the pay, possible benefit increases, but it does generally hit the consumer's pocketbooks. So I don't remember what episode it is, but that's what Cody and I, it was early, early on in six-pack discussions. Guys, you're out of your effing minds. If you think whether it's a tax increase or it's unionizing or whatever the case may be, if it costs more to produce the good or service, I bet you can't guess. I'm sorry. Yeah. If it costs more to produce it, I bet you can't guess who's going to cover those costs. The buyer. It's not going to be the shareholders and the owners. It's going to be the end consumer, the buyer, to your point. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that, that's. That's a big con. Very matter of fact. And this is a big challenge in recent history um, and why we've seen a significant decline in private sector union uh, membership. Um, you know, it's only 6% of all union members. It's went down dramatically. It was, I think the highest was in the fifties around 34%. Um, and we'll talk about a little bit why, but give you an example, the big three automakers in the U S right. You have Chrysler, which is now, you know, Solantis, I think like that has been traded off like five times now, but you got, you had generally Chrysler, GM and Ford, right. All in Detroit. They are highly unionized workforces, right? United auto workers. These guys are making $70 to $80 an hour entry-level jobs, right? Big-time pay, all-time benefits, all of that. You get Honda and Toyota that comes into America in the 80s, and they provide good jobs but are not union in non-Detroit markets. Who sells more cars and who's worth more money now? Who's went bankrupt? Weird, right? Yeah. Toyota and Honda killing it literally 90s and early 2000s they were the only cars being purchased Ford, gm and chrysler have all went through bankruptcies multiple times sorry not ford gm and chrysler have went through multiple bankrupt bankruptcies in the last 30 years multiple times how much do you think of that has to do with labor cost so you know what's kind of funny about the the labor cost and we even were talking about that's actually one of the pros is i believe they gave the figure 16 percent, 17 percent yeah Increase. Did you happen to look at the union dues ranges? 15 to 25%. Something straight. So I'm going to make 17% more, but I'm going to potentially pay upwards of 25% of my pay for union dues. So it's a delta of negative eight. And you can see why some states, 27 of them now, are now right to work states where you don't have to a union dues like in Arizona you can decide to pay the dues or not pay the dues as a teacher how many teachers are going to say yeah I would like to see 15% docked out why don't you pay? take that I wasn't paying enough in taxes let me, let me add some union dues in there <laughs> I mean in a way taxes are dues to America a little bit yeah. <laughs> a lot of it yeah okay another con and this one is um, pretty much confirmed up by not only Milton Friedman, but also Thomas Sowell, both very, very notable economics uh, professors, 
economy. They essentially are the voices of reason in our economy over the last probably, I would say, 30 to 50 years. Um, unions, in general, decrease the number of jobs available in the local economy where uh, unions are. So let's take Detroit, for example. If you have a auto workers um, uh, union and you have to pay everybody $70 an hour, if you didn't have the auto workers and you could pay maybe, say, $30 to $40 an hour, you would be able to hire two people. Maybe even if it was $50 an hour, you still hire two people. But because you have to pay them $75 an hour, you're only going to hire one person. And so in general, unions normally decrease the number of jobs uh, available in that local market, thus decreasing um, overall unemployment. So you essentially are kind of controlling, this is why I said it's a cartel, you're controlling the supply of the labor, thus forcing up the cost. Do you want to uh, do you want to go over our recent interaction last month with unions in San Diego? <laughs> uh, save that. For, yeah, we could do that in a second here. Okay. That's so awesome. It's so okay. awesome. Congress should remember that uh, union cartels, he actually said, oh, this is, uh, I think it was Thomas Sowell. Con- he, he stayed, I think he was actually in front of Congress when he said this. Congress should remember that union cartels retard economic growth and delay recovery when considering legislation that would force union workers to join unions. So he was stating this because there were uh, there was, um, I think actually during Obama's uh, administration in 2008 and 2009, there was going to be a bill that would supersede a lot of state laws around union force uh, forcing dues to be paid in states that were right to work states. So essentially says, hey, no matter what. If you are going to go into that workforce, you have to pay the dues. And this is how it is in, in many states. If you would like to be a truck driver, if you would like to be a nurse, you have to pay the dues. Otherwise, you are unemployed. We're in just kind of one of the states where you don't have that. And so there was going to be a federal law that was going to supersede that. He, of course, was fighting uh, that because he said, hey, if we're trying to regrow our economy in 2008, 2009, the last thing we want to do is force slowing a slowdown of job production um, and delaying recovery. Um, let's see here. Oh, my last one I'm going to share, and I think this is probably going to be very relevant. Uh, unions tend to put a lot of influence on seniority mm. and not <clears throat> meritocracy. How do you say that word? Meritocracy. 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 Uh, so it, it promotes the group think rather than the individual contributor creativity, essentially. Bingo. So, hey, I've been here for 20 years. <clears throat> I get, you know... Uh, the 20 year salary, whether I am amazing or shitty at my job. Yep. Cause I've managed to stay here for 20 years. Exactly. Now the guy that's been here for five years, that is just absolutely a, a rock star of a performer, whether they're more intelligent, whether they just want to work harder, whether they show up early, they are just more productive. doesn't matter. You get five years pay. You get the, the pay scale that is meant for the five year group. And you're, you know all about this, of course. Right, because the military pay scales are very, very similar. Very similar. Um, so, unions, a little bit of meritocracy. I, I see the analogy, though. Yeah, um, but the idea there is that unions really do put a lot of influence on seniority. Meaning, hey, you know what? It's pretty much just based on every year you get a little more money, you get a little more benefits, and at a certain point you can retire. So, it sucks though because with that type of setup, do you really promote um, innovation? Yeah. 
No, I mean, it, it's it's stifling innovation doesn't even begin to say it. I mean, I, I love the extreme analogy, but it was an extreme analogy with a very real-world application is because, unfortunately, guys, there are people that just do just enough to not get fired for 20 years, and they are making way more money than that five-year-old, five-year-old, five-year uh, employed individual that's just kicking ass, taking names. And Have you read the book Ride the Bus? No, I haven't. Ooh, good one. Ride the Bus. I'm pretty sure it's Ride the Bus. Okay. Pretty good book. You just What you just said right there, there's a lot of people that are just kind of doing just enough not to get fired. So in this book, and it's actually funny because it's actually uh, generated by a gentleman that has created uh, uh, charter schools almost. So he's, I think he has like 100 plus schools all across Georgia, Illinois, and things like that. His main thing is he's a school administrator, was unhappy with the public school system because there's a lot of seniority, there's a lot of unions, and he couldn't promote people that he thought were the best. So he created his own school system. He's got investors now backing him. He wrote this book, and it essentially is simplifying what you just said, saying, hey, you know what, guys? Every single morning, the bus leaves. Everybody goes to work, right? Everybody gets gets on the in their car, gets on a bus, whatever it may be. And you have, in my analogy here, people that like to run, and they're imagine the bus is like the Flintstones bus. There, are, there is no floor. Everybody propels the bus forward. This is your company. This is your school. This is America. That bus is, right? And every morning, people get on it. You have runners right? That literally will run the entire time. They don't stop. That's 10% of your workforce. You have your joggers, dependable, always there, always on time. They're 20% of your workforce, right? Then you have your walkers. They actually slow down the movement of the bus, but they're essential, right? They're going to be the other, like the other half of the bus. And then you have your sitters, you have some people that literally ride the bus. Ride the bus. <clears throat> they, they get there. They show up on time. Yep. <clears throat> now, do they make the bus heavier? Yep. Yep. And he says, we need the first three, the last ones we need to motivate. And his whole thing is, is the bus driver's job is to motivate the sitters and the walkers to carry a little bit more slack. So it's very interesting because what you just said right there is a perfect kind of connection to that book. And then I, I just thought about that. Good book though. You should read it. It's a short book too. It's like 90 pages. Ride the bus. I'm pretty sure it's ride the bus. So, you know, I could be mispronouncing it, something like that. I'm actually writing that down. Hold on. Maybe look it up so our readers actually can look it up too by the author. Hold on one second, guys. I could probably fill <laughs> some of this. You find it or no? Uh, <laughs> First thing I got whenever I said ride the bus is the drinking game, ride the bus. Oh, no. <laughs> Type in the book. I'm trying, man. I could be I could be mislabeling the name. I, I got it over on my shelf right now, I think. Move Your Bus by Ron Clark. There you go. Move Your Bus. There you go. Or The Energy Bus by John Gordon. It's Move Your Bus. Okay. Move Your Bus by Ron Clark. Yeah. Cool. Really great book. Um, I think it's just yellow with a color. Oh, shoot. Or The Bus Ride, Miller, William, no, or... No. It's Move the Bus. Okay. All right, so it's Move Your Bus by Ron Clark. Cool, I'm actually going to mark that down. Yeah, it's a short little book. Yeah, a little 192-page guy. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, it's short. Wow, um, four and a half stars, 500, cool. Yeah. Um, no, I've not heard of that one. That Shout sounds out like there. a great read. Yeah. Um, that, that's free, by the way, Ron Clark. 
<laughs> you don't have to, no charge on that one. Next promotion is going to be a free copy. There you go. Um, All right. Opinions, not opinions, just no, no, yet, no. but. I want San Diego example of oh, us yeah. setting up our booth. Give it to him. So, <clears throat> Cody and I were just recently at a trade show. Um, both of our two companies were represented there in uh, San Diego. And to city of San Diego's defense or credit, whatever one you want to call it, they did clearly outline the rules of engagement, if you will, for, for setting up your booth. Is in the conference center. Yep. Convention center. No. Oh, yeah, sorry. So anyways, so... Uh, my team, his team, we all set uh, arrive somewhat early, probably about four or five early, uh, four or five hours earlier than than we needed to, just to make do make sure that we did tech checks and you know set up everything up because uh, unfortunately, guys, I don't know if you've ever had any experience at conferences, but Murphy's Law is just alive and well with with any and all conference setup, right? Excuse me. So anyway, so we want to set up a little early and make sure that you know all our T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Well, then. Guys, there's probably six people in this little 10 by 20 booth area. And we're all, you know, working together as a team, you know. Our teammates, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Putting together everything you need to. And then all of a sudden, we were using our tools. And tools to open up the crates for for other stuff to continue set up. Ratchet, screwdriver. Hammer. Yeah. yeah. And, (laughs) And you would have thought that we were committing like a capital crime. Union rep comes over. Oh my God. You can only have three people in this area. And you're not allowed to use tools. And you're not allowed to use tools. That was a, that was a huge no-no. So like, oh my gosh. So three people legitimately had to take three steps out of this 10 by 20 area. And we had to not use tools. And then we're like, okay, this is taking way too long. So we had to hire a union rep. Despite us having all the necessary tools, despite us having all the necessary labor, we had to hire a union rep at $150 an hour while three of our coworkers and our teammates just watched and not to their fault, just couldn't do it. How aggressive was that guy? His work ethic was laughable. He wasn't doing anything the whole time because he actually had like a bum leg. Cody literally, so we had to hire him just to like check the box to use oh, use the tools. Was, okay, so I was actually talking about the guy that came over and yelled at us. Oh, I thought you were talking about the guy that you had unwrapping sunglasses. Oh, that guy. Yeah, well, yeah, his work ethic was also lower, but at least he wanted to work with us. But the problem there is, is that, like, nobody is going to work hard in that situation when they're forced to just do it. So whenever your floor is high, and your ceiling is low. It, it didn't matter. This guy, he could have busted his ass and unwrapped all the seal, uh, sunglasses. Uh, you know, un, uh, you know, undid all our crates. But there was no motivation to do so. I'm here for eight hours, and I get paid the exact same amount for eight hours, whether I work hard or soft. And I was, and you know, how many times I was just like, I'm just going to do it myself at this point. And 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 the expectation by the union was that I should tell him, that union rep, exactly what to do and instruct him how to do all these things and teach him how to do everything for the very first time where I and our team has done that already 10 times. 
And so the inefficiency there is just massive. Uh, it, that's just one of those situations where you get so frustrated that the city brokered that agreement with their convention center that required union labor to be used for all conferences. The city brokered that deal. And remember when I mentioned earlier, one of the pros to unionizing is that you're able to broker deals with your politicians. I was hoping you'd say that. <clears throat> and so here's here's where the rubber meets the road for me. And even Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, who was pro-unionizing. Delano. You just didn't say D. You yeah. knew what it stood for. <laughs> the, he is extremely pro-union. And in multiple famous speeches, he said, we are pro-union. We want to ensure workforce unionization, better pay, better benefits, safety. But as a public service, we will never unionize public jobs, public service jobs. Due to the fact that your union will be represented and be able to donate money to a politician who then can provide benefits to that union in that local community. So it's a self-serving situation. <clears throat> in this case, you remove democracy from that situation. So let's say your local community for, and this is one of my biggest problems, and I'm going to talk about why, I, this would be how I would fix a lot of the union challenges. Let's say in a local community you have a, a police force, and they're doing a pretty good job, but they want to buy all new equipment, right? So they're going to ask for a little bit of a tax increase. Okay, well, how you would normally do that without a union is that you would go ahead and, and you know, ask the city, hey, guys, we need more money. Go ahead and increase the budget or do a proposition. And taxpayers in that local community can vote on that. And you can increase the budget there. Where it gets challenging is when that union boss goes ahead and goes and pays for a certain politician to be elected. And then that politician goes ahead and votes for the budget to be increased on their behalf. And so it's a self-serving prophecy that goes round and round and round, and you see essentially union-based employees being self-serving in some extent. Yep. And so public, uh, any type of taxpayer-funded unions, I am completely against. I think it makes no sense. Uh, you already are receiving taxpayer money. If you want to receive more money, get out there and make people vote differently. Right, that's you. You already you don't need a union to take some of your money. Go out and say, "Hey, we're teachers. We need more money. Elect this person that's going to vote for more money." You don't need to have the union in between. Yep. Because then you're creating kind of a, a I don't know the right terminology there. There's a word for that. <coughs> I'm gonna say self-serving prophecy. No, I think self-serving is, yeah. is, is proper. So you know what's interesting, man is. Did you kind of think through that at all? When I, you were, I, I when did. You were doing this, I did. I did. So, my issue was because whenever I started looking a little bit more into it, as far as you know, uh, normalizing not working on the weekends, normalizing good working conditions, and yep. those are things that stemmed truly stemmed from unions. Yeah, I was like, hey, maybe I can get behind these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and I continue researching and I continue reading and, and you know, the pros and the cons and the, the origins, et cetera. Right. And then all of a sudden I see that, you know, in none of these, I'm sorry, these non right to work states, uh, 27. Yeah. Right. 27 right to work. Thank you. So 20, 20, no, the 33, 13. <laughs> no, 23. Holy crap. 23 <laughs> guys. We actually did a little asterisk on this last episode. Third beer math is different than first beer math. We, we get passes. So anyways, 23 states that are not, that are kind of almost forced into paying union dues. If you're forced to pay 25%. I never saw that number, but is that, that's 15 to 25. So I'm using it just to make my point. Yeah. 15 to 25% is your union dues on average. Of your yearly pay? Yeah. That's yeah. so much money, dude. What if you start taking into taxes, both state and Federal? I mean, we're, we're talking your take-home pay is is probably 45% of, of what you negotiate? Maybe not for those jobs. Maybe some jobs. Potentially, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of money to be giving to other people instead of just taking it home and, and spending on things that you actually right. want. 100%. Yeah, so, so anyways, that was, a, that was a very long way of saying is... I I appreciate unions for what they were birthed out of, i.e. the mining industry, to yeah. make sure that they were... Safety. Safety, safety first, right? Yeah. Um, but in today's world, because businesses have done such a fantastic job on finding different ways to compete, from an employee's benefit standpoint, absolutely, but also from an innovation standpoint, and whatever... It, you know, even your Chrysler example, I thought was beautiful in that it stifles innovation. It doesn't reward innovation. It doesn't in, it reward individual contributors. It, it rewards mediocrity. It rewards low ceiling, low floor people. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm going to give this fun example here. What's that? Get your idea on this because I think it backs up what you were saying a little bit. So I mentioned that word cartel or monopoly is another word maybe we can use. So imagine right now, put yourself in this shoe, in your shoes here. Imagine General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler all jointly come together to the table, the CEOs. They all sit at a big table together, right? In their suits and everything. And they say, hey, guys, <clears throat> let's all raise the prices to our you know, best-selling sedan by $2,000. Is that legal? I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I missed the first part. GM, yep. Chrysler, and Ford, CEOs. Yep all come together at a table and they all look at each other in the eyes and say, Hey guys, <clears throat> let's raise the prices on all of our cars by $2,000. No, it's that's, not legal. It, that's illegal. Antitrust yeah. laws. Yes. Yeah, so that's very illegal. Illegal. Yes. Right? That's I, I, just want to make, I just want to make sure. Like. Yeah, that's cartel monopoly uh, type of things. Cause essentially what you're doing there is you are um, working with your competition yep. to, to F the consumer. Exactly. But, F the consumer collectively, not individually. Because a Ford CEO saying, eh, I want to raise that expedition by $2,000. You can do that because what happens after a little bit? Well, then, oh man, maybe it's not worth the 2000 increase. I like that Chevy Tahoe. Bingo. Competition doesn't allow for that. Right. Right, and that's why antitrust That's why monopolies laws, aren't allowed. Exactly. Antitrust well, laws um, essentially make sure that co corporations or companies or business owners don't... Um, 
Collude. Collude. That's a word. Collude together. Um, this would be essentially a $2,000 bump on their private, uh, profits, right? To the detriment of every single American. What would happen? Well, Americans will no longer be, some Americans will not be able to afford a car anymore. So some automakers will now have to manufacture less cars, selling fewer vehicles, and in the end, hire less workers. So this is essentially an economy impacting decision when they decided to do this, right? Because when you raise the price by $2,000, hey, we're just going to increase the profits. Well, in the end, we'll have less people working for us probably because we don't need to produce as many vehicles because there will be less demand. The overall stock price for the company will rise because profits increase, but the overall economy will suffer. This is why economists, politicians, the general public normally say, no, we do not want this. Thus, why we have antitrust laws. Because we want to prohibit cartels I think I see the analogy that and colluding of prices. <clears throat> so when we so look at- So if we don't expect that of our executives, why do we expect that with our employees? Or not expect it, reward it, if you will. Exactly. And so, just so you know, unionized hmm. auto workers, guess how much a car increases in price because of pension plans and unionized auto workers? Every single American manufacturer cars. I looked this up. I'm going to say their wages are 16% more, so I'm going to say their car increases 16% more. It's $1,200. Every single American car, GM, Ford, and Chrysler, They've actually, you know, econ economists have done this and they have estimated that every car on average has increased in price based on union-based wages by $1,200. So every car has a extra $1,000 added to it. I wonder what that is in a percentage standpoint. Now, hey, just so you know, that's not based on recent inflation and things like that. That's, this is all based in like 2010 numbers. So that could be $5,000 now at this point. You know, it's, it, that's, it, that's a lot of money. And we say, that's not allowed. You cannot collude. You cannot work together, automakers. But we're all right with that if the employees do it. And so I'm, I'm not saying I'm against private. It, is it almost like we're against the man? It feels like that, doesn't it? You know it? what I mean? The big guy. Yeah. The guy making all the money on the top. Yeah. It does feel like that. Okay. Um, I had one other really funny thing here. Uh, these are what I call my interesting takes. I always like to kind of write these down. Uh, I already went over my Honda Toyota plants. Yep. They produce better cars <laughs> for less cost. And that's because of non-union workforces. Uh, Tesla does the exact same thing. Okay, so um, different demographics. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, I looked this up. I was wondering, okay, so who in general benefits from union versus non-union uh, uh, salaries, right? So uh, women, men, white, black, Asian, Hispanics, who generally, you know, receives the benefit? I'd say white guys. It, it's across the board. But the teachers skew me. Exactly. The teachers will skew it. So here's the funny thing. Guess who doesn't receive any of the benefits, and this is how you know unions. I'm going to say a lot of the minority races. Maybe not genders, but I would say minority races. They do receive the benefits. Asians actually see a reduction in pay when they are part of a union. Oh, because their earning potential is capped almost? $230 less per week. Significant. That's real money. Significantly less money. A unionized Asian male and a unionized Asian woman 
will make less money in a union than if they were in the private sector without a union. And that tells you one thing. Are you rewarding high performers? Hard workers. You're not. You're actually rewarding people that are not working as hard because those agent individuals are essentially working harder in non-unionized jobs and they're being rewarded for it. Like I said, you're rewarding low ceiling, low floor. And that number right there provide that tells you that. The highest class or the highest paid individuals, income earners, are all Asian-based, right? You see Filipinos, Indian-Americans, Chinese-Americans, Japanese-Americans. They're the top five, top six income earners in America. And and, and you're like, oh, wait, they're going to work hard. That group of people are going to work harder. They're like, I'm never going to be in a union. Why would I ever be in a union? I'm going to make less money. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, right? No, it is. So final thoughts. Pro or con union, and I don't want in this bullshit. It depends. I am absolutely uh, con. I, I'm not a for public unions whatsoever. I think we should remove all the the entire ability for public uh, jobs. Anybody that is taxpayer funded, right? The the forklift guy that you guys were paying in the military, the policemen, teachers, the policemen, the firefighters. Get rid of all those unions. I think they are doing two things really, really bad. They're incentivizing bad behavior, right? So you see less innovation in those, which I think we all agree. Um, And one instance there is police officers, right? You're essentially keeping bad apples in the system. And, I mean, I I think that's been... Prevalent. It's a problem. Really brought to light is is all these bad apples. 100%. Unions keep bad apples in the system. Teachers, police officers... I don't think firefighters have come to the, the top yet. I wouldn't yet. say that, no. Yeah, and, and that's probably because they're not honestly like the face of most problems. They're normally like, like the they're saviors. always saving the day. Yeah, exactly. They're never they're never faced. I'm not gonna say they're not faced with a difficult decision that because that's not a true statement, but they're never faced with a controversial decision. Like they're whenever a firefighter's there, they're there to do the right thing. There's no wrong to yeah. There's no wrong to do. And you know, police officers right now are highly scrutinized. Oh my gosh! But out of you know, a thousand officers, one of them is probably going to be maybe not the best. One out of a thousand people, I don't know, out of every 10 people, I think there's a bad person, to be honest, right? So one out of a thousand police officers, because they've already went through all this vetting or whatever it is, you're going to have somebody that's bad. Unfortunately, if they're in a union, they're going to be there for 30 years. If they were not in a union, they would be pretty much pushed out. Yeah. And so I look at public unions Bad altogether. I think we should not even be, it should be illegal to have unions in the public sector uh, completely. Private, the auto workers and all of that, uh, I don't have a general opinion on that. I think, I, I don't know how I can tell workers and employers to not be able to have unions without more regulation. And that's where I'm kind of like, mm, I don't want to do that. <clears throat> I don't know. What do you think? Okay. 100% aligned with you for public. However, for private, I'm actually pro. And as of right now, I'm pro, but I believe in like what it actually maybe next episode or maybe in the next few episodes, we have the four day work week coming up. Yeah. Next episode is the next episode. Okay. So I'm going to put an asterisk on my opinion, but today without doing extensive research and the only reason why I'm pro is because I think fantastic things have come from kind of almost establishing that work-life balance with abolishing the normalcy of working from 
working on weekends to worker safety, things like that have stemmed from a union route to where I think there's, there's value add, you know, cause I know a lot of, I, I believe, you know, a few countries in the UK are trying this four day work week and, and things like that. So that's why to make sure that we're not all just chasing the almighty dollar guys, because not to get too philosophical, but if you're chasing something that money can buy, you're chasing the wrong things, right? Vacations are great. Cars, clothes, jewelry, all that fun stuff, all that, all those material things are great. But if you're continuously chasing, you know, oh, I got to make my next dollar, it's never going to be enough, right? So that's why I like the roots of what unions were, were formed as to take care of the workers. I like seeing that innovation. If we will, now we're, 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 we're kind of, the con is we're seeing lack of job innovation. But whenever you're talking about, you know, taking care of your people, mm-hmm. I like that innovation, if you will, for, for lack of a better term. No, that makes sense. Um, I think my only pushback on it, and, and then we're going to, you know, if you have a, a rebuttal by any means you can say it, but then we'll end up. My only pushback on it is I think we are in a very privileged society mm-hmm. where that can be kind of looked at as okay. Um. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, that yeah. Can be looked on as though what's uh, that? Meaning that you know vacations and all <clears> that. Like, don't be chasing the almighty dollar. There are societies where they may be making a dollar a day and they can't even have food on their table. Mm-hmm. And I look at that as, as like, hey, those groups of people are not trying to chase it to put shoes on their feet. They're just chasing to make sure that their kids have food at the end of the night. So maybe my opinion is is based on a little uh, myopic vision of just U.S. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of people out there um, that are like, yeah, I'm not taking vacations, dude. I'm not buying new shoes. I'm just trying to put food on the table. And unfortunately, I have to work 15-hour days to do that. Uh, And right now, and and we're in a culture in America, right, where 15-hour days is just not really a standard. Most people probably could even get away with, like, six-hour days. That's why we're even looking at the four-hour work week, right? Because people are working less and less, but they're able to generate enough money to meet their basic needs, And that's one thing that I think is kind of a a privileged type of society is that we are at a point where we could probably work on average 20 to 30 hours and be able to generate enough money to have our basic needs met. And that's one thing that I'm kind of like always thinking, but if we work 40 hours a week, imagine how much more productive we are. And if we become more productive, the next society becomes more productive, the neighboring society. So I guess my only pushback is, is, where did this 40 hours? Well, to that point, hell, if we work 60 hours, that's, that's my, my, that's my that's frustration is, is where point. is this? Oh, just cause we say nine to five, that's, that's become normalized. Okay. Well, fuck it. I'll, I'll say six to six, you know, you're right. I that's it. my frustration. Yeah. Is that in and of itself has been based off of some thing. And I don't know what some thing is. Right. So, so what is 40 hours? Four-hour work week, buddy. Let's get into that one next I time. I can't wait, man. Uh, because actually, I'm already I'm already thinking right now, where does it come from? I can't wait. That, that one's going to be fun to research. What if the most productive you could be is 18 hours a week? I, so I don't I'm know. curious to understand the research. There, there had to be something behind this 40. Yeah. I hope. 
Okay, guys, really appreciate you guys listening. Tune in next us week, a follow it sounds on, like. Yeah, give us a, a follow on Instagram. Jared just incited us our next episode. I think almost by accident. I love it. Um, have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening this week. See you guys. Thanks, guys.